Yeah, that was torture. But it built something in me that I hadn't had before then. Uh, it gave me a drive. It, it, it gave me a, a, a commitment that that I had never discovered in myself as a as a 21 year old. And and let me just say how it was so easy for me to get caught up in the drug selling when I came home in 1998 because that's what the culture was doing. When I came home in 1998, Master P had just dropped an a, 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 a album called Ghetto Dope. Ghetto Dope. Me, 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 me crack like this. And it taught you how to cook crack from step one to step ten. So when I came home after being gone from 91 to 98 and I come back and I look into the black community, everybody's selling dope. The dope man image is what the girls want. It's what the preachers like. Everybody like the dope man image. So everybody's selling dope. They rapping about it. So, man, I just get in line with the culture. I get in line with the culture because the culture almost made it like it, it was logical to sell dope over working because the rewards were so great, Right. So many black children of our culture followed that mon that bullshit, nigga hustling, selling dope. Me, 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 me crack like this. So we went from that to trapping to now drilling and killing. So the culture reshaped me after all the good that TYC had done. My culture reshaped me in the pimping and the drug dealing. I went back to robbing, niggas snatching purses, all that shit, nigga, because that's what the culture was doing. The penalties are up to five years in the state prison if force was involved, up to four years in state prison if there was no force, and if the panderer uh, forces someone under the age of 18 to engage in sex, the penalty is up to 20 years in state prison. And if no force was used with a minor, it's up to 10 years in state prison. Additionally, the fines can be very severe, up to a half a million dollars for someone convicted of pandering. I'm Nevada criminal defense attorney Michael Becker. My office gets lots of calls by people who are worried that they may have outstanding warrants in Las Vegas. You can usually find out by doing a simple online search. Here are three things to know. One, to check online for warrants issued by the Las Vegas Justice Court, go to the Court Records Inquiry website provided below in the video description and follow the prompts. Cases with active warrants will appear with a red and white W to the left of the case number. Two, to check online for warrants issued by the Las Vegas Municipal Court, go to the Marshall Warrant Search website provided below in the video description and enter the person's name and social security number. Three, you can also check warrant status by phone. For information on warrants issued by the Las Vegas Justice Court, call 702-671-3201. For information on warrants issued by the Las Vegas Municipal Court, call 702-229-6201. Although these websites 
will indicate whether you have a warrant issued by a judge in a Las Vegas justice court or municipal court if there is an arrest warrant from a local police department, unfortunately, you may not be able to determine whether such a warrant exists without the help of an attorney. If you or a loved one is facing criminal charges in Nevada, call my legal team at 702-DEFENSE for a free consultation. The attorneys of the Las Vegas Defense Group are here to fight for the best resolution possible in your case. There are some misconceptions about conspiracy. Some people think that in order to prove a conspiracy, that two or more people have to be charged. That's not the case in the state of Nevada. In Nevada, one person can be charged with a conspiracy, as long as two or more people were involved. Additionally, one can conspire with a law enforcement officer to commit a crime, even though the law enforcement officer was acting in an undercover capacity and had no actual intent to carry out the crime. And you'll be safe. Now, because it's card specific, Let's say that you have two credit cards. One's a $1,000 credit limit, and the other's 5,000 credit limit, okay? The way the credit algorithm works is if you are maxing out, let's say your $1,000 credit card, and you've got 800 bucks on it. But over here on your $5,000 credit card, you only got 50 bucks on it. You got 1% on this one, but over here, you have 80%, right? Because you have 800 out of 1,000, okay? Now, combined total, right? If you took the average, your average is only going to be 40%. Two credit cards. One's basically at zero. The other is at 80% maxed out. So you're at a 40% average. Still bad, but it doesn't work on average. It works on card specific. So each card is making impact your credit score. What you want to do is start with the, cre the credit limit that has the lowest credit limit, okay? So as you're writing down the statement dates, right, your card, Capital One, Discover, Barclays, whatever your credit cards are, and you have your statement date next to each one of them, okay? Also write down your balance right in that next line. What is the balance? What do you owe on each one of those? And then what you're going to do is you're going to start with the lowest credit limit. This is called a snowball effect. This is how you go get momentum. Making that first payment, bringing it down to 2%. Remember, I talk about 2% utilization. So let's say we've got three credit cards, right? We've got that 1,000. We got a 5,000. We got 10,000. You're going to start with a 1,000. You owe 800 bucks on that card. You're at 80% utilization. You, your only focus is to get that credit card down to 2%. You need to get it down to 20 bucks. That is your only goal. And trust me, when this happens, if you time it, because you remember, you're making your payment before the statement date. So when that card reports, it's going to immediately raise your credit score dramatically. So even if you're average, you're looking at credit card, and you're like, my average is 28% utilization because you have multiple credit cards and it's spread between. It is making impact per card, not the average. So you'll see that once you get that lowest one paid off, down to 
Don't pay it off completely. $1,000 credit card, you want it down to 20 bucks. Okay? That's what I want you to focus on, getting it down to 2%. Once you get momentum, you get that thing paid off down to 2%, move up to the $5,000 card. Get that down to 2%. And then move up to the $10,000 card. Move that down to 2%. And then you're going to see your score is going to dramatically increase. Right? Payment history is 35%. The biggest contributor to your credit score is going to be your payment history. Now, what does payment history mean? Payment history means you guys paying your bills on top. Okay? A credit card, a car, a house, a loan is not going to be late until it becomes day 31. If your due date, for example, is the 7th of the month, okay? You don't make your payment till the 10th. It's not going to go in your credit report. Okay, just because your payment was due on the 7th and you made the payment on the 10th, now you may have a $30 late payment, but it's not going to report until the following 8th of the month. So your payment's due on the 7th, and you're like, man, I, I, I didn't, whatever happened, boom, 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 and you don't pay it till the 30th, 23 days later, still not going to go in your credit report. It's only going to report. 31 days late. When you're 31 days after the payment due date, that's when it hits the credit report. Okay, and that's what you want to avoid because late payments are going to make the biggest impact on your credit score negatively. Okay, now we have late payments. Okay, if you're looking at the high impact and you're like, okay, Mike, I'm looking at my high impact and I've got my payment history is at 97%. And uh, my utilization's at 80%. Okay. And I've got three derogatories. Okay. What are some things you could do? Well, just use the same formula. Go through the credit cards, find out your statement dates on each one of them, get the first credit card, the lowest credit limit, down to 2%. It's the first thing you want to do. Okay. Now, collections and late payments and charge offs are the other high impact. So, what are some things we can do? Well, The first thing you have to do is you have to realize that you have two options. According to the FCRA in 1970, they say that you, as a consumer, can challenge anything that you feel is unfair, incorrect, obsolete, or erroneous on your credit report. So now you're like, okay, cool. I can do it myself. Option one. Option two is you can hire a company to do this for you. And option three is you can hire a badass to do it for you, right? And the reason I say that is because, you know, Johnny's trunk credit repair who promises you the world, or you use a company, right? I'm not going to trash any companies here, but you use a monthly company. Commonly prosecuted crime by the U.S. government, mail fraud, right? You'll often see this in white-collar crimes, very common. What is it? How do they prosecute people, right? Those are the questions that we're going to answer right now. Mail fraud is broadly defined. It's defined by U.S. Code 18 U.S.C. 1341. It means to obtain money or property under false pretenses or to sell or distribute, exchange, supply, or use counterfeits. Now, does mail fraud only apply to mail being mailed out of state or does it involve the use of any private or government mail carrier, right? The answer is 
any use of mails falls under the gambit of the mail fraud statute, like the U.S. Postal Service, a private interstate carrier, to commit any crime of dishonesty, theft, all of that will result in a mail fraud charge. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You got me. That makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's deep. That's deep. That's that's. So can I do it? You gonna put me on? Most definitely. Okay. You know some people need some trade lines. I got some clear cards. They're gonna contact you. (laughs) I'm gonna tell you. But why shouldn't I though? Like, cause somebody, somebody's like, yo, you shouldn't do that because. uh, Of the person, obviously they don't get a card. You don't give them a card, but. Is there any reason? Fear. Somebody put Just fear, fear. into you. They said, you know, they said, you can't do it or don't do it because of this, right? And the only thing you could think of, what if somebody gets access to my credit cards, right? I'm a statistic. What if somebody get access to my credit cards? You think about this, right? Is that how many safety alerts do you have for your credit card? I got a few, yeah. Okay. Do you have your push notifications on? Yeah, See, listen, I tell people this, is that, one, all my credit card alerts and my credit cards go to an email, Mm -hmm. specifically for my credit cards. It's the only push notification that's going to pop up is credit card alerts, transactions, things that happen. It's the only thing that's going to pop on my screen for my emails. Most people don't think to monitor, but people don't get access to it. Then reverse engineer Hey Dave, you give me six fifty. I'm gonna add you to my credit card to help you build your credit. Hey Dave, tried to access my credit card and just gave me six fifty for trying to access it because now I blocked him and took him off, and now he has no purpose. Mm-hmm. What's Dave? <laughs> Dave, how much money will Dave have to spend to try to go out and capitalize off of somebody else? Versus understanding that I can get my own credit card and capitalize on myself. I've been in this business over three years. I've never had anybody compromise a credit card. Mm. All right, y'all. Y'all see what it is, okay? I got you, okay? Pull <laughs> up. I got. Yeah. That's so dope, man. That's dope. so. One, I want to say thank you for um, for educating our community because when I see the boxes, it's not just all black, but. Yeah. It'd be a lot of us, you know what I mean? Like, so that that's very, very important. Give me a testimonial. Give me two testimonials from your students. From my students, um, I got First one. off, how many students you got? Right now, we're pushing a little over 500 in the mentorship um, and about 1,000 in my financial literacy course. Dang, that's dope. And, and, oh yeah, so yeah. are we going to tell them about the morning meetup? Can we talk okay, about? we can. We definitely can. So yeah. yeah, so we got the. Uh, I have a morning meetup where I'm literally on a call every single morning teaching entrepreneurship. It's really a strong community. We're we're hovering around ninety something people every single morning from all all across the country. People want to start their business. 
Um, they need a community of people. Like it's a, it's a whole built-in audience, and we talk literally every morning. We like a family. And uh, Marcus called me. He was like, "Yo, I want to add." Yo, and this wasn't even. He didn't call me like, "Yo, Dave, I need an affiliate link." Like, "Yo, I wanna, I wanna sell your course." He was like, "Yo." How much would it be for me to just add my students to your morning meetup? And um, I just thought, I thought I was big. I told my wife, like, yo, this, this is a real stand-up guy. Like, I just want to add value to my community. Yeah. They don't got to pay no extra money. He said, I, he said, I'm paying for my students, which I thought was really, really dope, man. I appreciate it. So, yeah, and the reason being is that, is that mindset is everything. I, the, the, to operate boldly to be out here and it takes daily reassurance mm -hmm. I realize me as one person I see how much we interact in the Facebook group how much we interact in our Instagram groups um, and it's just that daily interacting so when I see what you do with sleepless nights I go it's amazing to have somebody that's willing to wake up every morning and give an hour of time that reassurance to get your day started sure. get that day started keep it on your mind and it keeps us motivated to go out and execute right yeah. go out and kill something if you want to be successful I'm gonna tell you now you got to kill something every day and as brutal as it sounds you have to do it every day you don't get days off I don't care what day it is I don't care if it's a holiday I don't care you have to execute and win that day. And I, I delivered a message and I went live and I talked about that. And they went crazy and I go, listen, you gotta kill something every day. And I go, man, my man David Shans kills something every day. Every day he wakes up and kills a call for his people to motivate them to go out and kill something every day. I want to add, I don't want to do that for my community. I want to add somebody who already does it naturally. So that way that gets added to my community is something that's already that's awesome. in you that goes out and kills. You already do it. That's awesome. I don't want to duplicate what somebody else does. No, let's add and bring it together. Collaboration over competition. Pimping and weapon possession. It was also noted that an alleged witness to the prosecution that agreed to testify against Chief Keefe mysteriously went missing before the upcoming trial. Um, Mr. Chief, do you have anything to do with that? The Chief's next arrest happened on April 8th, 2017 in Miami Beach, Florida. Police claim that while Chief Keefe was driving in a green Lamborghini, his passenger got out in the middle of traffic and started talking to the car behind theirs. Cops saw the commotion and thought they saw an exchange being made between the two suspects. This led to the police pulling over Chief Keefe and ultimately discovering marijuana in one of the vehicles. Keefe was charged with a DUI and was booked into jail moments later. During his sentencing, the cops revealed that they had found eight different drugs in the chief's system at the time of his arrest, all of which included morphine, codeine, promethazine, THC, hydrocodone, norcodine, dihydrocodine, and hydromorphone. 
Sosa eventually avoided jail on a guilty plea, but was sentenced to six months probation and 50 hours of community service. The final charge was reckless driving. And last but not least, we have the Chief's final arrest in South Dakota. In June of 2017, Chief Keefe was arrested after airport security found marijuana edibles and blunts in his bag. During his hearing the following Friday, Chief Keefe pled no contest to possession of a controlled substance, a Class 5 felony that is punishable with up to five years in prison. He was later released on bond, but was required to come back to South Dakota for his trial. His trial was almost two years later, on April 26, 2019, and the outcome was all in his favor. The judge gave the chief a suspended imposition of a sentence, which means no conviction will be entered as long as he meets the conditions set by a judge. Apparently, a defendant can only receive a suspended imposition of a sentence once in their lifetime in the state of South Dakota. When it was all said and done, Chief Keefe was ordered to pay a $500 fine, $104 in court costs, and $99 in testing fees. All the other charges were dropped. If you're wondering what the Chief is up to nowadays, well, it looks like he just sits around in his mansion all day, making music, smoking weed, and playing video games. Once in a while he'll travel around to do some shows, but other than that, he seems to live a pretty chill life, and is staying out of trouble. His last arrest was in June of 2017, so almost two years without an arrest is pretty good. Let's hope he can keep it up. Well, there you have it. All of Chief Keefe's criminal history jammed into one video. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to give it a thumbs up. And if you want to see more content like this, then make sure to hit that subscribe button and turn on all notifications. Also, feel free to comment on who you want to see a criminal history video on next. That's all I have for today. I'm out. I want to introduce you to a well-educated man who went to prison. We're going to hear about why he went to prison and what he did while he was in prison. David, thanks so much for being on the program. Tell us a little bit about your background before we get into your prison experience. Thank you, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Uh, I was a practicing and licensed attorney in the state of Illinois for almost 15 years prior to becoming a uh, management member of a, of a startup biotech company in the Chicago area. Uh, and uh, that ultimately led me to prison uh, where I was convicted uh, in uh, the early 2000s of a white collar crime of uh, wire and mail fraud. Uh, let's, where I, let's talk about that for a second because people might have some level of, you know, that, that doesn't seem congruent. You're a, you're an attorney, uh, you later became a CEO, and, that you found, and yet you found yourself in the crosshairs of prosecutors. Tell us a little bit about what it felt like to learn that the Department of Justice was targeting you for prosecution. The case ultimately began as a uh, Securities and Exchange Commission civil case, and there was a referral, as I understood it, made to the uh, U.S. Uh, Attorney's Office in, in the Northern District of Illinois. It was How long did that take? You found out that there was a SEC investigation. 
And was there actually a finding in the Securities and Exchange Commission investigation? No, actually. That began, the SEC investigation began uh, in early 2002. Uh, and uh, the SEC uh, ultimately did not uh, come to a conclusion in that case until after the criminal case was resolved. It was actually put on hold during the pendency of the criminal case. So the cases were going simultaneously. First, there was a Securities Exchange Commission case. Then that was put on hold and the DOJ picked it up. Is that right? That's correct. And when you found out that you were a target of of, uh, criminal charges, what did you do? Did you you agree to cooperate or did you go to trial or or did you plead guilty? What did you do? Well, when I first found out I was a target was during a... uh, a raid of our corporate facilities. And I wasn't told I was a target, but it was basically a common sense conclusion. I hired an attorney at that time and uh, the case ultimately was not prosecuted or the initiation of the prosecution didn't begin for another two to three years. So there was a, a long period of time that I remained the CEO of the company and chairman of the board, but then ultimately I relinquished those positions. Others came involved and tell us about that. That's that's interesting. So you there the the Department of Justice raided your facility. Then there was a two or three year period before you were charged. Is that what I understood you to say? That's correct. And were you operating uh, in the capacity as if? this was going to be, you were going to be exonerated from that raid? Or were you concerned that there could possibly be criminal implications? I was quite concerned there was likely to be criminal uh, repercussions. The problem was that if the company shut its doors at that point, there certainly would have been, in my view, criminal repercussions. So I continued as I was. So you continued, and then ultimately they returned an indictment. Did they arrest you, or did they just serve you? I was not. I was never arrested. Uh, I had counsel at that point, who the U.S. attorney was familiar with. So I, uh, I, uh, I just it was a uh, no cash, uh, self recognizance bond scenario where I simply appeared for my arraignment. And you appeared for your arraignment, and then. How did it ultimately end up with regard to the adjudication of that case? Did you plead guilty or did you go to trial? I ultimately pled guilty approximately two years later. What was the cost of litigating that case? Do you recall, David? Um, I believe it was $25,000. So not a tremendous amount of legal legal fees at that time. Um, Were you happy with the representation you received? Yes. And you ultimately agreed to plead guilty to a sentence of how long? 14 years. Well, was... let, me, let me backtrack. I did not agree to a, a fixed term of incarceration. Um, we simply agreed to plead guilty without a determination or agreement on the loss figure, which is the large driver of the sentence ultimately in these mail fraud, wire fraud cases, uh, my responsibility for a particular loss figure. So because that was left open, I didn't agree to a, uh, an, an amount of years. That was never- What were you anticipating with regard to a sentence when you agreed to take the plea agreement? 
in the area of 10 years. It was, uh, I was told by my counsels at that point, because I also had sentencing, uh, a specialist in sentencing at that point, that they were confident that I would be able to get to a minimum security camp initially. That did not occur. So you thought that you would get 10 years. Had you not gone, had you not accepted? Under NRS section 574.070, it is illegal to run, train, sell, or watch an animal fight. For dog fighting, uh, it's a Category D felony with a penalty of up to four years for a first-time offense if you're running a dog fight. For a second-time offense, you're looking at up to five years in state prison and a $10,000 fine. And for a third-time offense, for dog fighting, you're looking at a Category B felony with up to six years in state prison. Welcome to the credit game. This is the first and only channel that comes to you every single day, Monday through Friday, and sometimes on Saturday, to give you the knowledge you need. If it's your first time on the channel, please do me a favor. It helps out tremendously. I know I asked you guys to do this, but hit that subscribe button. I don't know what side it's on. It's on one of these sides. The subscribe button really helps. It helps out you, right? You become a master when you can do 10,000 hours of anything in your life. 10,000 hours, you become a master at that craft, which equals end up being just slightly over a year. But you become a master, right? So the more you do things, the better you get, right? Chess masters have got so many hours in, and that's why they think 14 moves ahead. What if you could do that with credit? What would your credit look like, right? So that's why I teach every day. I don't come to you once a week. I come to you every single day to hold you accountable so you can watch the videos to make sure you learn. This channel is about learning. It's about taking action. It's about what mom and dad never did for us. Well, at least for me. And school's never taught, right? No school has ever taught the system of credit. No school has ever taught the system of finance other than professors in college, which is not real life. So why do I want to come to you every day? Because I want to make sure that you are watching the video. So do me a favor, subscribe, smash the like button if you could find your heart to do that as well, and turn on the bell notification. There's only three things I ask for you to do every day, and that makes our channel grow, which helps you and helps others and ultimately helps the United States raise the national credit average from 667 to over 700. Now, we're going to talk about a topic that, uh, again, just so you guys know, if it is your first time, you know that I get all my content straight from the heart, but also it's from what you guys are asking. This is probably the most asked question in credit repair, in credit in any type of credit situation that most people ask this question. That is, what is a good FICO score and how do I raise it? That is the number one question I get from clients. Uh, 
So what is a good FICO score? Well, you have to look at, again, what FICO is. We'll talk about that. And also, what are you trying to do? So a good FICO score ultimately would be over 780, which is classified as class A or excellent. Anything over 780? So from 780 to 850 would be considered the same. Same interest rates, same anything over that, anything over 780, you're just saying I'm bragging, right? I got an 827. It makes no difference from someone from a 781, okay? Somebody with an 813, somebody with 849, somebody would made a perfect credit score. It is the same. So what is a good FICO score? I would say a great FICO score would be 780 plus. There are 150 million people in America right now, especially what we just went through with the economy, that have a credit score under 625. million people suffer from under a score of 625. How does that, how does that happen? Like I get it happens and it's not your fault because you never learned it. Mom and dad may not teach it. No school ever taught. How would you know other than trial and error? It's called the credit game. That's why I created it. I created it for me and I just happened to share it with the world. But I'm telling you this is that I want to come to you every day because I want you to watch the videos every day so you learn what to do and what not to do. And I'm telling you ahead of time, if you guys that are under 650 credit score have not taken action on your credit, it is going to be very, very difficult to get a vehicle, a credit card, a home, start a business, finance stuff, get new furniture, get loans. You guys are paying two times what you should be paying for a mortgage. Almost double. $2,000, like let's say a $200,000 home, right? Somebody with good credit should be paying somewhere between, I don't know, $1,000, $1,100. You guys are paying $1,800, $1,900 for the same home. For a car, I got somebody that said the other day, I'm blessed, right? You guys here, you know, like, I'm blessed. You're blessed. You're paying $650 for a 2011 Charger. And they're putting on Facebook, I'm blessed. That car goes for about 300 bucks a month at best. But you're happy, but you settled. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't BS you. I, I don't come here to, to BS you. I don't sugarcoat anything. I tell you the facts of credit because this is your life and your life matters to me and I want to help you, but you got to commit to yourself. I get questions all the time about crimes involving moral turpitude. And in this video, I'm going to talk about what they are, but I'm also going to talk about why they're significant. And really they're significant in three types of situations. The first is, if you're not a citizen of the United States, if you're an immigrant and you are convicted of a crime involving moral turpitude, then many times it will trigger immigration consequences, such as deportation, denial of reentry, or denial of the chance to naturalize to the United States. The second situation where it's significant is if you hold a professional license, such as a 
nursing license or a license to practice law, then many times a conviction for a crime involving moral turpitude will trigger disciplinary proceedings that could cause your license to be suspended or revoked or your inability to get a license later on if you apply for one. The third situation involves being a witness in court. As a general rule, judges will allow the opposing party to question you or impeach your credibility if you testify as a witness in court and you have convictions of moral turpitude. So, for example, the other side could say, well, isn't it a fact that two years ago you were convicted of forgery? Now, as for the definition itself of crimes involving moral turpitude, it's somewhat murky. But generally speaking, these are crimes that involve dishonesty or fraud. Examples would include burglary, child abuse, criminal threats, perjury, robbery, felony hit and run. They almost always involve a deliberate criminal intent to do wrong. To the extent that you are charged with a crime involving moral turpitude, and you're in one of these situations where it could really affect you, that is, you're not a citizen of the United States, you hold a professional license, you plan to get a professional license, or you plan to testify in court someday, then you want to do everything you can to fight the case and either get it dismissed or at least get it reduced to a lesser offense that is not a crime of moral turpitude. We've had a lot of experience and a lot of success helping clients do just that.